0: Turning your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 8, we're continuing, of course, our study of the history of the nation of Israel. We started way back. 1 Samuel, we saw Samuel, Samuel himself, and then in 1 Samuel, we saw Saul, the first king. Now, in 2 Samuel, is really more of the emphasis of David as the king, and we're seeing the, uh, basically the kingdom of Israel and everything through the eyes of David. He is called a man after God's own heart. And this morning, we're going to see David continues to unite the nation. We're doing something a little bit different. Normally, yet we always go verse by verse, passage by passage. We'll do that today. We're just going to do two chapters, which is a little unusual. The chapters are both short, and the information, we're going to see how it fits together. In fact, let me give it to you this way. In chapter 8, we're going to see that David gets victory over the enemies, that he is expanding the kingdom, and God gives the victory. And we're going to raise the question, why is God letting David defeat all the enemies around him? We'll talk about that. And then in chapter 9, and we'll go through that first, fairly quickly, is we see David keeps a promise, and he goes back to Jonathan's son. And you remember, Jonathan was, his, was David's best friend. has to do with Jonathan's son. We look at this, and it's really a picture of what God does for us because we realize that God gives us victory, victory over our enemies, victory in the Christian life, and then at the same time that God keeps his word always, every promise, everything he's ever said. When he says, I give you eternal life, you have eternal life. When he says, I'll never leave you or forsake you, he'll never leave you or forsake you. When he says, I've gone to prepare a place for you, he's gone to prepare a place. So great, great thing. So this morning, we're going to see uh, God gives the victories and then David keeps his word. So we'll see that as we go through it. Well, uh, have you ever, I mean, I know most of us, we make promises. Sometimes we don't really think about it. We'll say, oh, yeah, can you help? Oh, yeah, I can help. I'll be there. And then something comes up, and we can't do it. And we have to realize that sometimes we have to be careful when we make a promise. Jesus actually said, let your yes be yes, and your no be no. In the Old Testament, they made vows. They'd say, I vow to the Lord. And in the Old Testament, it basically says, it's better not to make a vow than to make a vow and not keep it. So be careful that when we say we're going to do something that we do it. It has to do with our character. Well, we're going to see David this morning and David keeps his word. He had made a promise. He'd made a promise to his best friend, Jonathan, concerning their family and their children. And we'll see how that ties together. In fact, if you remember, David and Jonathan were really close friends, even though Jonathan was older than David. And yet they had made this deal that if something happened to David, Jonathan would take care of his kids. And if something happened to Jonathan, David would take care of his kids. And we're going to see what ties in this morning. We realize that uh, we're going to look at this son, his name is Mephibosheth. And we look at that person, that's going to be the son of Jonathan. And we're going to see that how God, how how David deals with Mephibosheth is how God deals with us. And and we'll see it. God always keeps his promises. He promises eternal life. He promises a home in heaven. He promises a new body. He promises he'll provide and protect. So God always does what he says. Well, we remember that David is now king over the entire nation. He has brought the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. He has defeated uh, the Jebusites that lived in Jerusalem. And so they've got the city now. It's now become the central place of worship. He's done all of these things. And then God has made a covenant with David. Now, this is big. Because the covenant is that the Messiah and the king will come through David and will rule forever. If you remember, David uh, had, had built a palace, and, and they, everything was great. And then David kept noticing that God, the Ark of the Covenant thing, was in a tent. And so David decided he would build a temple for God. And God sent a message through, through one of the prophets named Nathan. And he came to David and said, no, no, God says you're not going to build the temple God's going to build something for you. And what the promise was that David wouldn't build the temple, that's going to be for his son Solomon, but that God would take David and through David, the Savior of the world would come, the Messiah would come, the King of kings and the Lord of lords would come. And so David is promised that through him, he will have a son that will sit on the throne forever. Now, we know that son is Jesus. That's who came through David. In fact, when Jesus was on the earth, sometimes people called him the son of David. They were recognizing that Jesus basically was from David. And so God has made this covenant with David. And this is where we are. This is a great thing. And we're going to see in a little bit that as we start the next chapter, that David begins to defeat all of the enemies around them. Why? Why? Because David is a warrior, and to build the temple, there has to be a time of peace. So David's going to defeat all the enemies, and then his son Solomon, whose name comes from Shalom, which means peace, his son is... At the time of peace, we'll build the temple. So there's some great things coming. We're going to see it as we go through this and uh, and see what happens. So two things this morning. We're going to see the victory over the enemies, and then David deals deals with a guy named Mephibosheth. And let me give you the outline. It's it's not very not very much to the outline in the sense two chapters, but and we'll go through them very quickly. But David expands the kingdom. We're going to see the nations in David's cabinet, and then we're going to see that David keeps a promise. And I think that when you see that, you're going to, you're going to love that. It's, it's an amazing thing. So let's start with that David expands the kingdom. Now, I've got a couple of maps to show you. Here's a map, and just to give you an idea, David is in Jerusalem. That's where he is. If you go straight across, there the Ammonites. Then right beside them, down a little further, is the Moabites. Then all the way down here is the people called the Edomites. They were descendants of Edom, descendants of Moab, descendants of Ammon. Then they were called the Amalekites. They were descendants of a man named Amalek. Then there's the Philistines. They were called the Sea People. And then a little further north, there's Aram, which is the Armenians. Uh, 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 and then there's Damascus, and there's all these different people groups, all these different people. And and up to this point, the the Jewish people under Saul didn't defeat anybody. In fact, the Philistines defeated them. David has taken over, and he has defeated two times already the Philistines. We're going to see in this chapter, he's going to get them all. In fact, when you look at this map, there's just sort of a, there's a lot on there, but once again, the Edomites, the Moabites, the Ammonites, Gesher, Rahab, uh, uh, Rehob, and then the Amalekites, the Philistines, uh, arameans all of those people, they're all in this area, and David, in this one chapter, and we'll go fast, he's going to defeat them all, and why? So that there can be a time of peace, so that when he dies and Solomon takes over, there's peace so they can build the temple. So let's start. Look at chapter 8, verse 1. It says, Now it came about that David, uh, after this, David defeated the Philistines. And subdued them. And David took control of the chief city from the hand of the Philistines. Now it says after this, after God had made this covenant with David. Now I don't want you to forget, I talked to you last week and I said that 2 Samuel chapter 7, where the covenant is made, is probably one of the most important chapters in the Bible. It is one of the keys of the Bible. It is a promise that God made that through King David will come the Messiah and the King, that's Jesus Christ, and he will come in rule and righteousness and justice forever, and he's going to rule on the throne of Israel for a thousand years on this earth, and then an eternal kingdom he will rule. So this is the promise. Now, David now begins to defeat his enemies. Notice it says, now after this, it came about that David defeated the Philistines and subdued them, and David took control of the chief city from the hand of the Philistines. Now, he defeats the Philistines. I want you to notice something, that at the very end of verse 6 in this chapter, it says, and the Lord helped David. And and wherever he went and whatever he did, this is why David has the victory. Listen... David doesn't have the victory because he's a great general, and he is, or a great warrior and a great fighter, and he is. And he doesn't have the victory because the Jews are great fighters. They have the victory because God gives the victory. And you're going to have victory in the Christian life, not because you're something special, and not because you got great power. It's because God is living in you, and when you yield to Him and the power of the Holy Spirit, you will have great victory in the Christian life. And that's what we see as we go through this. So watch what happens. So he defeats the Philistines there in the southwest part. They call the Sea People, and that's the first. Group that he gets. Notice verse 2 he defeated Moab and measured them with the line, making them lie down on the ground. And he measured two lines to put to death and one line to keep alive. And the Moabites became servants to David, bringing tribute. Now, the Moabites, you remember, that's the group over a little bit to the, to the east. And they were an enemy, and he defeats them. And what he does is he kills two-thirds of the men. Now, let me show you something. He made them lay down on the ground, and he took a rope, and he made it a certain way. And any head that went above that rope, they killed. And basically what he was doing, he was killing He was not killing the short people, which were the kids, which were the boys. He lined up all the men and the boys, and the men and the boys were were not tall enough. So basically, they killed the men and left the boys alive. They killed the soldiers is what they did. Now, why would he do that? Why didn't he kill them all? You know why? His great-grandmother, David's great-grandmother, was Ruth. And she was a Moabite. She was from Moab. So David had a part of his life that he he still loved these people because his great-grandmother was a Moabite, but he, he's got to defeat them because they're against him, and so he killed them. And most likely, the way he says it, they killed two-thirds of them, but he let most of the boys live. That's probably what happened. Then you go a little further in verse 3. It says David defeated Hadadzer, the, the, the son of Rehob, king of Zobah, and he went in to restore his rule at the river. It goes on to say, David captured from him 1,700 horsemen, 20,000 foot soldiers, and David hamstrung the chariot horses but reserved enough of them for 100 chariots. So then he goes and he gets Hadadzer, and that's a little further up to north, and, and uh, he begins to defeat this guy, and, and he took back land. When it says he restored the rule at the river, that means that David took back land that at one time the Jewish people had, but now this guy, person took it, so then he takes back. So Jesus, so uh, David took an area once ruled by Israel. Notice it says he hamstrung the chariot horses. He did that. He cut the tendon on the back of their their, their legs so that they couldn't run fast anymore and and because they wouldn't be able to be used in war. That's what he was doing. He was saving the horses, but not letting them be used for war. That's what he's doing. And now, he's not through. He's still going to go. Then it goes, then the Arameans, you remember that's the other group. Aram is what it's called. The Arameans of Damascus came to help Hadadazur, king of Zobat, and David killed of them 22,000 Arameans. And David put garrisons among the Arameans of Damascus, and the Arameans became servants to David, bringing tribute. And, of course, at the end of the verse it says, and the Lord helped David wherever he went. And so we find that he goes after these Arameans. They come after David. What they do is they say, we're going to go help Hadadazer, and they're going to think they're going to help him, but they don't because David kills 22,000 of them, and they become servants. And so what we're finding is David is capturing them all. Look what it says in verse 7 and 8. It says, David took the shields of gold, which were carried by the servants of Hadadazer, and brought them to Jerusalem from Bethad and from Barathai, the cities of Hadadazer, king. David took a very large amount of bronze. David is taking all of this, I put it shields of gold. Why would David do this? David captures them, and then he gets all their gold and their bronze and everything, and you say, why is David doing that? David's not doing it to be rich. David's already rich. You know what he's going to do? He's going to use the gold and the bronze when they build the temple. Do you remember when the children of Israel, the nation of Israel, came out of Egypt? They came out of Egypt. They had been slaves for four Hundred years but when they came out because of the death of the firstborn and god brings them out it said that the jewish people asked their their egyptian neighbors for gold and silver and the egyptians took off their earrings the gold earrings and their stuff and they gave it to the jews and when the jews went into the wilderness they used that gold and bronze and things to build the tabernacle Now, David is capturing all these enemies, and he's getting the gold shields, and he's getting all that stuff, and you know what he's going to do? He's going to use that to build the temple. He's not collecting gold and bronze for himself. He's collecting it to get ready for the temple to be built, and that's why this. Now, notice this. It goes on to say, uh, now, when when Toy, king of Hamath, heard that David had defeated all the armies of Adadazar, Toy sent Joram, his son, to king David to greet him and to bless him. Because he had fought against Hedidazer and defeated him. For Hedidazer had been at war with Toy. And so Jerem brought with him articles of silver and of gold and of bronze. Well, there's this uh, man, his name is uh, a Toy, and he's a king. He comes to David and says, thank you for defeating my enemy. You know, and so he gives things to David. And, and once again, he brought silver and gold and bronze. And David is just going to use that. And so this man came to be, basically to be a friend. Then, then it says, and David also dedicated these to the Lord. Now remember, David's not keeping them for himself. He's giving it to the Lord with the silver and the gold that he had dedicated from all the nations which he had subdued. So once again, ask yourself the question, why would David get all this gold, silver, and bronze and keep it? He's getting ready. He's getting everything ready. By the way, when David died, everything was there for Solomon to build the temple. Everything was there. David collected it all and got it ready. God said to David, you cannot build a temple. You are a man of war. Your son Solomon, a man of peace, will build the temple. What David is doing is defeating all of the enemies so that when David dies, Solomon will not have to fight wars. They've already beat everybody and Solomon can build the temple. That's what's going to happen and we're seeing that here. And so I want you to see um, uh, verse 13. So, so David made a name for himself. And when he returned from killing 18,000 Arameans in the uh, Valley of Salt, he put garrisons in Edom. That's a little way far down. All, and in uh, all Edom, he put garrisons and all the Edomites became servants to David. And then notice again, what does it say? And the Lord helped David wherever he went. It says David, by the way, it says David, you know, made a name for himself. He He's conquered Aram, which is Arameans, Edom, which is to the south, the Ammonites, which is to the east and the northeast, Amalek. And so there's the map again. And so what David is doing, just in this chapter already. He's defeated the Ammonites, the Moabites, Edomites, Amalekites, the Philistines. He's defeated the people up here, which is the Arameans. He's defeated the people over there. And so he's defeated all of these enemies. And by the way, the Edomites were descendants of Edom, and they lived in these way up high places up in the rocks and in the caves, and they thought they couldn't be captured. They thought they couldn't be captured, and David comes and gets them all and puts garrisons there is what it says. He puts forts there, and so he did it all, and, and God gives the victory. The truth is this, that David has made a name for himself. By the way, he was already famous. It says David made this name for himself, but uh, he's, already, he's already famous. Uh, David had made a name for himself. So Edom in the south, the truth is God is the one who gives the victory. And we've seen it over and over. It says it two different times. In uh, verse 6, the Lord helped David. Verse 14, and the Lord helped David wherever he went. Now, the Lord will help me and you wherever we go. He is our strength and our shield. He is the power inside of us when we want to walk worthy of the calling which we've been called, when we want to live righteously and godly in a fallen world, the only strength that we have is God. Think about this. Galatians 5 says, walk in the spirit, will not fulfill the lust of the flesh, for the flesh lusts against the spirit, spirit against the flesh, contrary one to another, so that you may not do the things you please. There is a battle going on inside of every one of us. We have a natural bent to sin. It's called the flesh. It's called the old man. It's called the bent to do wrong. We also have the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us to do right. There's a battle going on. If we want to do right and live right we have to live in the power of the holy spirit we have to depend on god's power in the same way that david depended on god's power to defeat the enemies if we walk in the flesh we will fulfill the lust of the flesh if we walk in the spirit we will we'll have the fruit of the spirit love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness self control that's what comes out so so what's coming out in our lives what's coming out in your life what's coming out in my life if we're walking in the power of the holy spirit we're going to have victory and if you notice all the way through, every time the Jewish people and their leaders are doing good and living righteously, they win. Every time their leaders are doing bad and they're doing bad as a nation, they lose. That's God's promise to them. He said, I'll bless those that bless those. I'll curse those that curse you. If you obey me, I will bless you. If you disobey me, I will curse you. That's what he told them. So how do we have victory in the Christian life? Notice at the very end again at that verse, at verse 14, and the Lord helped David wherever he went. So powerful. So uh, if we're going to make an impact for Christ, it's got to be God's power through us. It can't be you. We can't do it. We can't do it. We can think we can do it. We can say, well, I'm going to try to do this. And, and the Christian life is not lived that way. I always say it's this. The Christian life is a walk of faith in the power of the Holy Spirit based on the Word of God. A walk of faith in the power of the Holy Spirit based on the Word of God. That's the Christian life. And that's the only way we can live it. And we see this. So here's what we've got, and we'll just bring this map one more time. So David from Jerusalem has defeated the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Edomites, the Amalekites, the Philistines, then all the way up here on the other map you saw is the Arameans, and so he's, he's got them all. And now he, he's defeated them all, and they all pay tribute to him, and they all come under him, and there is now going to be peace. And there's going to be peace for a while. And we're going to find, you know, I, I, I hand you that little handout, uh, that little card when you've started the study. And the first chapters of this book, it says David in triumph. We're in the triumph section. He's doing great. The second part of the book is David in trouble. And this is where he makes, uh, well, we could say a mistake. It's not a mistake. He sins. He sins, goes away from God, and from that point on, he's in trouble. And he doesn't have the victories in the same way. And we'll talk about it when we study through those passages. We're not very far away from it, by the way. Not very far away at all. Now, let's see, and i put it this way, David's cabinet. What, who's who's going to be his leaders? Who's going to be with him in this? Look what it says, verse 15. So David reigned over all of Israel. And David administered justice and righteousness for all the people. Now, what I want you to grasp... David was a just and righteous king. He did what was right. As the king, he did what was right. He is a foreshadow. David is a foreshadow of the perfect king, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. When Jesus comes, he will rule in righteousness and justice. He will rule, as as Psalm 2 says, with a rod of iron. He will rule this world as a just, righteous king. David is a foreshadow of Jesus. A foreshadow, if you look at the Bible, sometimes the Bible calls things foreshadows. Sometimes it calls it types. You see something in the Old Testament that is a foreshadow or a picture of something to come. David is a picture of Jesus who come in as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Well, let's see who's, who's in David's cabinet, so to speak. Verse 16, Joab, the son of Zerah, was over the army. Now put this one up. Joab was the general. Do you remember Zeruah was David's sister? So Joab is David's nephew. Now, let me just say something. Joab could be older than David. Because you know, David fairly, was fairly young. When he, I mean, he's 30 years old when he became king. Joah has been a fighter for a long time. Joah, uh, David's nephew, could be older than he is. I mean, that's, you know, that's not unusual, but could be. And then here's the rest of the people. There's a guy named Jehoshaphat who's the recorder, keeps the records. There's Zadok and Himelech, who are the priests. There's Saria who's the secretary of state, which is kind of like an official position, kind of a, a representative. And then there's a guy named Benaiah. Benaiah is a powerful man and a great warrior, and at this stage of the game, he's very young. Just keep studying. We're going to see him again. He's going to become a great warrior before it's all over. He's going to be one that not only David counts on, but David's son Solomon will count on that man right there, Beniah. And he's a a great fighter and a great warrior. It actually says in verse 18, Benaiah the son of Jehoiada was over the Cherethites and the Pelethites, and David's sons were chief administrators. These two groups of people were not Jewish people. They were groups that wanted to be with David. And so he took them into his kingdom and allowed them to serve under him. And then it also says David's sons were chief ministers. So they they all all joined together. Everything looks so good. In fact, I, I almost wish it stopped right here. I mean, we got a next couple, next chapters real good, and then we got something else, and then we got something else, and we wish that it had stopped at the first something else, you know. And so we're going to see it as we go through it. It's going to take us several weeks, but we'll see it. Let's let's go to chapter nine, and we're going to meet this guy named Mephibosheth. It's a long name, but that's that's Jonathan's son. Now let me remind you, David and Jonathan were very close friends. Jonathan was a lot older than David. The best we can tell. But they became so great friends. Jonathan said to David, David, if you die, I'll take care of your kids. And David said, If you die, Jonathan, I'll take care of your kids. Well, Jonathan got killed in a battle. He got killed with his father Saul in the battle with the Philistines. So now David has become the king. What's he going to do? Let's I'll put it this way. David keeps a promise. Look at chapter nine, verse one. Then David said, is there any yet anyone left to the house of Saul that I may show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Show kindness. Well, let me tell you what happens. In that day and time, if you became king, anybody of the former king, any of their family, you killed them all. Killed them all on purpose. If A former king had a son, you made sure he was dead too because you didn't want anybody to have claims to the throne. So when David says, is there anybody left in the house of Saul that I may show kindness? Normally a king would say, is there anybody left in the house of Saul that I may kill? But he's not saying that. He's saying, can I show kindness? kindness. Well, what does this have to do with? It has to do with the promise that David made. It has to do with the promise that he and Jonathan left. Is is there anyone left to send him from Saul through Jonathan? remember, David and Jonathan had made the covenant in 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 42. They would take care of each other's descendants. So look what happens, verse 2. There was a servant of the house of Saul. His name was Ziba. And they called him to David. And the king said to him, are you Ziba? He said, yeah, I am your servant. And the king said, is there not yet anyone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? Now, that's really unusual. I just want you to understand that kings don't do that. David does that because David made a promise. And so David says, who can I help? And Ziba said to the king, there is a son of Jonathan who is crippled in both of his feet. Well, he says, there is somebody. There is somebody. There's a son. and He's crippled in both of his feet. Um, let me read something to you. This is back when both Jonathan and Saul were killed in the battle. Now, listen to what it says. Now, Jonathan's, uh, Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son who was crippled in his feet. He was five years old when the report of Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel, and his nurse took him up and fled. And it happened that in her hurry to flee, he fell and became lame, and his name was Mephibosheth. When Saul and Jonathan were killed in a battle... Everybody was running for their lives. Jonathan's little boy was five years old, and the nurse picked him up, and they were going to run, and somehow he fell, and he hit just wrong, and it ruined both of his legs, both of his feet. He could never walk again. So when David says to Ziba, Ziba, is there anybody around? And Ziba says, well, Jonathan has a son who who is crippled in both of his feet. And the king said to him, well, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, he, he is in the house of Makar, the son of Emil in Lodabar. So David says, where is he? And I want to show you that that's where he is. Here's Lodabar. David is right here in Jerusalem. Lodabar, this is, this is the Dead Sea, and this is the Sea of Galilee. And this is Lodabar. It's about 10 to 15 miles south of the Sea of Galilee. And so uh, uh, Mephibosheth is there. You know what he's doing? He's hiding. He doesn't know what's going to happen. When David became the king, he could say to himself, they're going to kill me. Now, listen, he's not a little boy anymore. In fact, he has children of his own. He's married and has children. But he's hiding for his life because he thinks if David ever finds out where he is, he's a dead man. That's what he thinks. But, you know, that's not true because David made a promise to Jonathan. So look look what happens. So the king said to him, verse 4, where is he? And Zuba said, He's behold, he's in the house of Micah, the son of Emil in Lodabar. Then David sent and brought him from the house of Micah, the son of Emil from Lodabar. Now, if you're at your house of, in Lodabar and somebody comes up and they said, we're looking for Mephibosheth, he's right here, King David would like to see you. What do you think? Your life is over. He's going to bring you in and kill you because that's what they do. So you think you're going to die. And so, verse 6, Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, fell on his face, prostrated himself, and David said, Mephibosheth? And he said, here is your servant. Can you imagine? You're brought in before David. They bring you in because you can't walk. They bring you in, and you fall on your face. And he says, are you Mephibosheth? And he says, "I'm, I'm your servant. I'm your servant. Whatever you're going to do, do it. He figures he's going to die, right? Verse 7, David said to him, Do not fear, for I will surely show kindness to you. Why? Because you're such a good guy? No. I will surely show kindness to you for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of your grandfather, Saul, and you will eat at my table regularly. What a... I'm going to show you kindness for the sake of Jonathan, your daddy. I'm going to show you kindness because of your daddy. And guess what? You're going to get all the land that belonged to your father and grandfather, and you get to eat at my table. See, when the king, the king had the cabinet, right? And every day they got up and they had breakfast. And then they had a meal and they had a night meal. And the king fed all these people because they they worked for the king. And he says to this Man who's crippled, you're gonna eat at my table. Whoa. You could see him going, What 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 do y'all usually have? No, no, you wouldn't say that at all, would you? No. In fact, look what he says. Again, he prostrated himself and said, What is your servant that you should regard a dead dog like me? He said, I'm just a I'm just a dead dog. I don't deserve anything. You're you're telling me that you're going to let me have land and you're going to let me eat at your table when you could have killed me? I'm just a dead dog. What do I deserve? Absolutely nothing. Now, before we go further, and we're going to be through in just a second, I want to show you this contrast because what we see is how David deals with Mephibosheth. That's how God deals with us. Look at this. Mephibosheth is helpless. He's lame. He can't even work. He can't do anything. He can't do anything. He can't come to David and say, look, I'm a hard worker. I'll be glad to work for you. He can't do anything. You know what? We're helpless. We're sinners. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous. No, not one. There's not one that seeks after God. That's us. We can't come to God and say, hey, I can do a lot of good things for you. God says, no, you can't. No, you can't. You're dead in sin. So what happens? Beth Piblisha is saved. Why? Because of Jonathan. Because the promise he made To Jonathan. You know, we're saved because of who? Because of Jesus. God demonstrated love toward us while we were sinners. Christ died in our place. He became our substitute. We don't go to God and say, here's what I've done, you can save me. What we say is, I'm dependent on Jesus to get me to heaven. Jesus does it all. We're saved because we believe in Jesus for eternal life. Look at the third thing. He said, I'm going to give you an inheritance. You're going to get land and everything. Guess what? We have an inheritance. 1 Peter chapter 1 says, we have an inheritance that is undefiled and kept by the power of God. And so he accepted it. You know what he said? I'm a dead dog. He said, I don't deserve anything. It's your grace. What do we say to God? Thank you for saving me. Thank you. It's by grace. I've been saved through faith. It's not of myself. It's your gift to me. It's not of my works, lest I could ever boast. That's what we say. It's all the grace of God. And then look. He's going to eat the king's table. Guess what we're going to eat? We eat at the king's table. We eat at the Lord's table. We'll always be with him. He'll never leave us for a second. What should we fear? So the way that God, the way that God, David deals with Mephibosheth is exactly the way that God deals with us. So look what happens. Verse 9, then the king calls Saul's servant Ziba, and he said to him, everything that belongs to Saul and to all his house I give unto your master's grandson. That's him. You and your sons and your servants will cultivate the land for him. You're gonna do the work. You're gonna bring in the produce so that your master's grandson could have food. And nevertheless, Methusheth, your master's grandson, will eat at my table regularly. And Ziba himself had fifteen sons and twenty servants. He calls the servant in and he says, See that guy over there? You're gonna work for him. You're gonna fix land, you're gonna do everything for him. But guess what? He's gonna eat at my table for the rest of his life. He's mine. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my Lord the king commands, his servant and will do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table as one of the king's sons. You see that? Guess who you are? You're a son of God, you're a son of the king. When you believe in Jesus Christ, he gives you eternal life, you become a child of God, you become a son of the king. Mephibosheth will always have a part in the kingdom because of Jonathan as believers will always have a part in the kingdom because of Jesus Christ. It goes on to say, Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah and all who lived in the house of Ziba were servants to Mephibosheth. They all had to serve him. That's to serve him. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem for he ate at the king's table regularly. And by the way, it ends by saying, now by the way, he was lame in both feet. It wasn't because he did anything himself that got that position. It was because of Jonathan. And we will be with Jesus Christ forever in his kingdom, not because of anything we've ever done, but because of what he's done for us through Jesus Christ. We've been given an inheritance. We're provided. We're protected. We will always be with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Wow. What a passage. Let me give you some applications. Let's live in God's power. He, God is the one that gives the victory. It's not our strength. And we just live our lives based in his power. We live based on the word of God. As I said a while ago, the, the, the Christian life is a walk of faith in the power of the Holy Spirit based on the word of God. So we live our lives based on the word of God in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's not the only way we can have victory. And God gives the victory. He always gives the victory. If you want to have victory, you live in God's power. If you want to have defeat, you live in your power. Now, you've got to pull inside of you that flesh. It's going to pull you all the time. It's going to always tell you to go contrary to the scripture. In fact, the Bible says in Romans chapter 7 and Romans chapter 8 that the flesh is not ever wants to do what God wants you to do. Always wants to do opposite, always wants to do contrary. So you have a part of you, a natural bent inside of you to sin. You have the power of the Holy Spirit. You're also becoming a new creation in Christ. You can have victory. We can have victory if we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. So we must do that. Second one, is let's keep our promise. Let's keep our promises. God keeps his promises. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. If you say you're going to do something, do something because it's character. We've got to do that. We want to be men and women of character. Just like David said, I know that most people would kill all the sons of the former kings, But I had a deal with Jonathan and I'm going to keep my word. And he will eat at my table for the rest of his life. When you say something, let's do it. Remember, God keeps his promises. You know what he said to me? He said, I got eternal life. I got it. I'm going to have a a new body. Probably going to be tall. I may be. You know, who knows? You know, No glasses. It's just going to be fantastic. God keeps his promises. He always does it. Right? Every promise he's ever made to you, he's got them. Finally, realize the grace of God to us in Jesus Christ. We get it all, not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus is doing. Just like Mephibosheth got it all, not because of what he ever did, but because of what Jonathan had done. And we realize the grace of God. We are in the family of God. We have blessings and inheritance. It's not based on what we do because we're helpless. It's based on Jesus Christ, our Savior. You know what? We will always be with the Lord.